0: What I found is really learning to define the problem that they're solving for early with everybody's input. And I know that sounds a little bit, you know, maybe PC or like, or something like that, but if someone's not part of the problem and defining that, they're not gonna try to be part of the solution.
1: Welcome to Energy Builders, a podcast about the geologists, engineers, roughnecks, entrepreneurs, and many more that are building in oil and gas. On this episode, our guest is Donna King. Donna founded Energy Point to fulfill a particular need in the asset management sector. With her industry know-how and a results-driven approach, she guides her team in providing clients with superior services, cutting-edge data management, and innovative solutions. On this episode, Donna and I discuss her entrepreneurial inspiration, her experience at Chesapeake Energy, co-founding a land brokerage and standing up a private equity-backed company, as well as why she started Energy Point. Our conversation was great, and I know you'll enjoy it as well. Okay, well, Donna King, welcome to the Energy Builders podcast. Thanks for coming on.
0: Yes, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here, Adam.
1: Likewise. Well, let's let's dive right in let's talk about um your business energy point services Mm -hmm. let's start with what on earth inspired you to start (laughs) form kick off running your own business
0: well um you know that's a good question and uh you know i i i see that there's a an opportunity in the market um kind of had a lot of experience in this arena with land and accounting services um and I also saw a widening gap and opportunity for people with experience industry experience to actually go out and implement and select new land software accounting software and implementation data implementations um to do those types of things uh I've could probably do a whole docu-series on implementations gone wrong because there are years and years of unwinding of uh you know misconfigured data or or things like that that have been um you know cleanup projects <laughs> that have gone on for years to come but um I I saw an opportunity in the market to step back out in 2021 um I I thought I'm going to try it. I'm going to see if uh if this sticks. So I stepped out of my my salaried, nice payroll job and stepped out into the unknown in 21 and cast a wide net. And I kind of go to like a word of the year every year. And my word of the year that year was invest. And I didn't know how true that would be investing in others and how cool that was to see how many people were willing to introduce me to their next level of, you know, uh, network and, you know, I'm three and four layers in talking to people that I didn't know uh, and kind of just letting them know what we do and what we're offering, what services we're offering. And we're still here three years oh. later. Uh, I've got a great team. We've got about 25 or 30 people working and just um, could not be more grateful to be <laughs> busy.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, that's great. I want to come back to that, what you said about investing in others Mm-hmm. Um, and that being your word of the year, I want to come back to that maybe a little bit later, but, mm-hmm. um, what did people think? Like you mentioned that, like you had a nice salary job and like stepping mm-hmm. out, what was the reactions around from the people around you?
0: I, I thankfully have a really good support system. and um, you know, they. They know me. I know I'm, you know, fairly independent. I grew up on a farm in Kingfisher and I think that instilled some hard work and uh, critical thinking skills uh, and some independence. So I had a good support system. People were very encouraging and uh, they were supportive of, you know, this this endeavor. And, you know, they had a lot of support and ideas, which I sat through a lot of brainstorming ideas, uh, things with with folks and friends and and. It was so nice to see how um, some of those conversations developed and helped me develop and grow as we started this venture.
1: That's great. That's good to hear, like having support in that way. Was entrepreneurship like in in your heart, like in your blood, like in your soul? Like, did you know you were going to start your own business at some point or no?
0: You know, I grew up thinking I would do a little bit of everything. And I think that's been about true. Uh, I did not really think that I would until I started getting into really understanding the problems. So understanding the problems that our industry was facing and repetitive, duplicative processes and things that were happening just occurring across the board with all of our uh, you know, network par- or non-op partners and small companies to big companies alike. So as we defined the problem, I thought... There's an opportunity here for this type of work to be done um, in a services like an outsourcing services group, uh, as well as consulting and helping the folks that are you know in house every day developing and, and creating new processes to help um, help them as well. So, I mean. <laughs> It, it all comes back to defining your problem, seeing an opportunity and stepping out to help solve those problems. I get a lot of joy and satisfaction in doing those things. So did I see myself doing it? Probably eventually. I come from a long line of entrepreneurs. My grandma is probably my best example, uh, but yeah, I think it, it works if it, it's, it's, it's how I'm wired.
1: <laughs> gotcha. What, what did your grandma do? How did she inspire you and be uh, an entrepreneur?
0: She was great. Um, she had a, an upholstery company uh, for a long time. And so she I, she taught me. I, I upholstered for furniture and redid furniture for a while. Uh, and then she uh, had an antique store for several years. She just did her own thing and uh, had a little, little store there on Main Street in Kingfisher. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Yeah. As it, you said that you, you did say that uh, uh, you grew up in Kingfisher. Did you were mm-hmm. you born and raised in Kingfisher?
0: I was. Yes. Born in Okarchi, raised in Kingfisher.
1: <laughs> so what what what, what did uh, what did life in Kingfisher look like uh, when you were a young woman?
0: Oh, um, very small town. Uh, yeah, we had we had a Walmart. Sam Walton was born in Kingfisher, a little known fact. Uh, I did not know that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> not a lot of people do, but that's okay. Um, you know, we grew up, you know, it was a small school, so we were able to play in all the sports and be as involved as we wanted to do and grew up and just really enjoyed a small town life there.
1: Yeah. Well, were you a good student? Would you say were you a plus student? Were you a C minus? Were you somewhere in between?
0: I actually was oldest child, typical oldest child. So straight A's, uh, you know, very involved in anything you could be involved in. Um, you know, I joke that I was, uh, somehow I got nominated to be all state in sports, but really it was academic all state. <laughs> so it, it didn't really count. They needed a GPA boost.
1: <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's great. Well, you you got on the team. So that worked the all state team. Yeah. 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 So how did you make your way from, you know, um, I don't know if you had like, Actually, let's start there. What kind of jobs did you have, like um, a high school job? did you have? What were some of your first jobs before you know ultimately ending up in the oil and gas industry? Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Lots of things, a uh, varied experience. So I was, you I, know, of course, babysitting was part of the part of the deal. I babysat a lot. I worked at a little drugstore there in Kingfisher after school and made orange aids and limeades and you know chocolate shakes. is very old school drugstore. Uh, responsibilities. Uh, I drove the wheat trucks for my dad. We had a forty nine Chevy and a fifty seven Chevy. Uh, so learned how to drive a standard on a wheat truck. Uh, uh, with no working gauges, so that was fun. Um, and you know, worked all through college at a at a bank and an insurance office, and it had no exposure to really oil and gas and and energy until I graduated college and landed a job at Chesapeake.
1: Nobody in your family worked in it was all farming or or local businesses. Mm-hmm. No no oil and gas exposure in your family.
0: I mean, we lived on a farm and had a well uh, for a long time, a marginal well that had produced there and until the last 10 years, nothing had been done since then. (laughs) Right,
1: right. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so you graduate from college. Did you have a degree in like petroleum land management or anything like that? Or did you go to a job Mm -hmm. fair? Like how did you land at Chesapeake?
0: I graduated from Southern Nazarene and Bethany and then, uh, you know, there were a few friends and everybody was getting hired on at Chesapeake at that time. And so I applied and, uh, for a job, I had no idea what I would be doing and got hired for ridiculously, uh, you know, just be on work, which was great. I learned so much. Um, uh, but I got hired on there in 05 and, uh, just thought, you know, if I'm still doing this in five years, I don't know if this is for me. But uh, <laughs> right. I learned a lot, had great mentors, and really enjoyed my time there.
1: What did you start out in? Was this doing? Is it was it land related? What was what? What were some of the peon
0: tasks that you? Mentioned? It was uh, well. <laughs> it was division order tech one. I loved it. I mean, I really loved. It. I that's just not the right word. I shouldn't have described it that way. Um, I enjoyed it. I, we were basically you know, processing, making sure that the right people were getting paid. Uh, we were making sure that the transfers of interest were going through correctly. We um, got exposure to various, um, you know, laws of heirs of, you know, passage through several different states. So a lot of exposure on descent and distribution and, you um, learned a lot, had good mentors. And then I got to move over and learn how, uh, to set all of the wells up so that everybody's paid, billed and paid according to the statutes and contracts in place. So had good mentors in Oklahoma, Arkansas, Barnett, Haynesville, Eagleford, Permian, I mean, Permian, we had some Marcellus, um, Ohio, Utica, um, Rocky is just kind of all over. I was very fortunate to have good exposure all over the place and, and really understood that how to translate all of those contractual obligations into technical uh, on how to make sure that the system complied with all the contractual obligations.
1: Right. Can you talk about a little, maybe for some of our listeners who don't have like a background in like, um, like the distribution of revenue off of a well, you know, Mm -hmm. can you talk about a division of interest and like what that can look like? I mean, I think some people have the idea of like a partnership, right? And like a company and people Mm -hmm. getting distributions, but a division of interest is a lot more complicated than that. Can you kind of maybe give us a a 10,000 foot view of like what that might look like and the complexities there?
0: Sure. So, you know, the easiest examples are Jeffersonian in Oklahoma, where you have a 640 sec- acre section. Uh, let's say you chain out all of the title and you understand all the mineral owners. So you have to go out and lease the mineral owners. Uh, make sure that you have good leases and good title, chain of title to everybody, which could range anywhere from one owner to you know, we've seen 2,500 owners in a well, so you have a lot of due diligence and a lot of work that goes on on the title side and just understanding who owns it, and then all of the people that are going in to lease those owners end up being your working interest parties and the people that own the leasehold part of the, the well. They're taking all the risk to go, pay their proportionate share of all the bills to go explore and produce that. Uh, that you know, 640 acre section of oil or gas. And then all of the people that are on the other side, on the royalty side, they've entered into leases and now have a contractual obligation to receive their proportionate share, which just means the number of net acres over the gross acres multiplied by their lease rate. They get that percentage of the production that comes off of the land. They haven't had to pay any bills in and they're getting a benefit of the production coming out of the, out of the ground and the working interest parties are all uh, also paying their bills and then getting their, their share of the revenue that comes out of the ground. So I hope that's helpful. (laughs) No, I think
1: so. Yeah, no, that's great. You did a much better job than I would be able to do. Um, So, and, and I think that's, what's cool about oil and gas. I mean, I mean, it's, it's one of those things, like you said, there could be one owner or there could be 2,500, but like for the person that owns those minerals, they might not be the landowner, you know, the minerals Mm -hmm. might be severed, severed from, uh, which I mean, is pretty common, but it's, it's one of those things like, um, it's not, it's one of those assets that can, can really create a lot of passive income and even generational wealth for a lot of these landowners that, either inherited or bought or who knows, but it's, it's a really cool thing that not a lot of people know about if you haven't grown up or had a touch point with the oil and gas industry. So thanks for breaking that down. Um, so going from, what was the next step in your career at Chesapeake? You started there, you're learning all this, you're learning, um, about these different regions, uh, these different plays you're, you're working at Chesapeake. Um, did your, what happened next in your career?
0: Well, I had been there almost 10 years and, again, saw the need. I really had good exposure to a lot of our non-op partners and understanding um, just all of the duplication of process, all of the projects that they're exposed to that need cleaned up because if you don't, you expose yourself to litigation and other uh, risks that are out there, and it's a job that has to be done. So... Stepped out, uh, you know, never burn a bridge, stepped out in uh, late 2014 and ended up uh, partnering and working with a brokerage, uh, running kind of all the land admin things for about uh, four years. We did several implementations, um, you know, a lot of data cleanup projects. I got exposure to several different system software vendors and how they worked. And you know, it was a little scary because I left Chesapeake and only knew really Chesapeake systems, which were very customized. Uh, But really when you understand the data and how it should work, the rest of that falls into place. You understand, okay, well, this system just requires this configuration. And then it's helpful when, like my parents are farmers. They also, you know, are royalty owners. So it's helpful understanding and break, being able to break down that check in reverse of, well, this is why this happened, and this is what that charge really means, and this is how, how they got to that point. Uh, so we've helped both sides. We've helped operators. We've helped landowners. We've helped uh, kind of help just where there's a problem and we have the skill set to solve it, we're happy to step in and help.
1: So when when you left Chesapeake and you started seeing these these other systems, Uh, like, how customized was Chester? I mean, is this all totally fabricated in-house or are they working with Groot? Like, what was the differences you saw from those customized to, like, what's on the market? What was your initial reaction?
0: Um, I was, you know, I know I'm biased, but... Chesapeake was way ahead of the curve on, on just having all of their documents imaged. You could go to a centralized location and pull up a title opinion and do all of these things, whereas a lot of other companies were pretty, we're seeing a lot more of them catch up to that speed. But at the time, this was probably nine years ago, you know, they're, they're out there and have all of their files in a filing cabinet. And there's no way you can just pull something up and have a lease at, the, at your fingertips. You're having to go back and image all of those things. But then also, you know, we were able to import and export data pretty easily. And a lot of the systems that were out there that people were using, and um, it was much more challenging You'd have to go with a business analyst or somebody like that to to help you import and export.
1: And this, a lot of this, you're you're talking about, this is before like the cloud or like the cloud <laughs> catching on, right? So this is like, you're saying, yeah, they were really thinking ahead. That That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So you were, so, to say the least, you were probably surprised with the, uh, the, the fractional nature of data. Um, yes. so what was, ne- were you, a? did you help start that business or did you start working at a brokerage? I'm sorry. I might've missed that.
0: Oh, I helped start it. Um, and, uh, I really enjoyed it, had great experience there. I did that for about four years uh, and then had an opportunity I couldn't refuse really to go in-house and work for a private equity-backed company um, and help them stand up a you know $1.6 billion acquisition and set up all of their land systems and then uh, got exposure and somehow ended up learning and being in charge of the revenue accounting piece, which exposed me to a lot more. Uh, and really I enjoyed that a lot. I learned a lot from that team. I learned a lot about, you know, how everything should flow from, you know, origination all the way through uh, production. And then, um, it, you know, I, tr- I experimented. I'm constantly trying to find ways and things that work. Uh, so we kind of got into some different uh, methodology on just how to organize work. So um, I can go on a whole tangent on that, but we've taught it and it's been replicated uh, with several different companies on just using kind of a, a technology or not technology, even just a Kanban methodology against other um, other ways to, that it's not traditionally used for.
1: Okay. Yeah. You just use that word Kanban. <laughs> Can you, <laughs> it's, it sounds, it sounds exotic and I don't, I, I know that it's a methodology for organizing stuff, but so is this something that's, this is a, just a methodology, right? This is, this isn't tied to like one system. Is that right? right? Like
0: right. It's for, just...
1: for, for, for ignorant, for people who are ignorant like me, can you break it down and talk about a little bit like, like what it might be mm-hmm. and like what it might look like?
0: Absolutely. I found myself in a position, which I am sure all of your listeners, you, everyone has found themselves in this position of, I have a lot of work to do. I can't tell you what all of it is. And I can't, I can tell you that I think we're short on resources, but we got a lot to do and I don't know how to measure it. And I, it's bigger than me. So I, I, I found myself in that position and I was like, okay, what are other companies doing? What are, what are they being exposed to? How do they handle this? And so someone had recommended a couple of books to me and it was about the Kanban methodology. And so it was like how Google works, how Toyota works, like you have work to do and you have throughput and you have to figure out your work, you know, your work in progress, what your web limits are. So... I literally went on Amazon and ordered butcher block paper. So anybody can do this in sticky notes. And I said, okay, we're going to have a backlog. So we're going to write down all of the things that we have to do. And everybody's just going to put all of it up there. Next is going to be planned work. Which of these things have deadlines to meet that we're pulling down into planned work? And then what do we actually intend to do this week? Work in progress. And can we meet these? So everybody pulls down what they think they can do, a work in progress. Then we have a stand-up meeting. So we're kind of combining agile scrum methodology, which is a different thing. We just have quick stand-up meetings. And my job was to clear the roadblocks. So <laughs> whatever came up that put them like in the parking lot, I that was my job. I'm gonna take care of the roadblock. You guys keep moving forward and you know we'll we'll get this through. And then what I think is also cool is we're able to put down all of our completed work and start showing the team and physically seeing, you know, we're getting work accomplished. How important is that? It's so important. Think about like when you're mowing your yard, doing laundry, you know, can weed in a field, doing something like that. You see, you can see the results of your labor. But when you're in an office all day, I mean, nobody gets excited unless you are like me. You just tell everybody, like, I got this spreadsheet to balance to eight decimal
1: places.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nobody cares that you completed six, six spreadsheets. But if you're able to see it, you're starting to see meaningful work. The work I'm doing is meaningful. We're actually able to capture it and have something to show for data points behind all the work that we're doing. It also shows you for resource planning from a management perspective, okay, um, you know, we, we intended to do this 120 hours worth of work, but we had 60 hours of unplanned work that popped up and this continues to pop up so we can't allocate that many resources toward it. So then you start building a data case behind, we need to hire XYZ or outsource XYZ uh, to, to keep up with it. So it just creates visibility uh and i think it it makes me feel like i'm in more control right i'm a more more uh at least visibility or eyes on what needs to be done
1: yeah yeah is this are you like a su- are you a super organized person like does this fit your personality type <laughs> or has this been like you have to learn this because of the roles you've been in
0: i like to think ideally than I am, but then I look at other people that are really organized and I'm not there. <laughs> um, thankfully though, I know that that's a weakness of mine and I hire people that are really good at keeping me organized and, and us organized so that we are all moving in the same direction. I have a tendency to start it and then get distracted and on, you know, and then someone I have. So to are you a dream? Are, are you more
1: of a dreamer? Like what, what do you, where do you, where do you fall in there?
0: I I think that's probably where I fall more so than than anything else. I guess it's just because I, you know, I don't know. I'll have an idea, I'll see a problem over here and think, "Oh, that relates to this problem over here." Like, for example, oil and gas and renewables, they have very similar contractual obligations that need to be tracked and things that they need to be able to pay and the similarities are very very uh, striking but also they have you know their own nuances that they follow so taking this experience and pivoting a little bit into renewables is also something that we're we're doing and I think it's because you see the kind of that range of um, you know similar problems to solve. <laughs>
1: Right, right. So do you like, I'm wondering, I'm trying to get at like, like you thinking as a business owner, like, do you like building the systems? Or do you like running the systems? Or like, you just have to have the systems because you have to have them? Or like, what is it? Is it like, do you love just filling out a spreadsheet? Or is it like, (laughs) if you make the spreadsheet, and you're like, now this works, okay, someone else do this. Like, what scenario, which scenario best describes you?
0: probably the building and then, okay, great. Yes. All of this works. Take this one and I'll try to move on to the next one. (laughs) Well, let's,
1: no, I, I I see that totally. Um, I, I feel like I'm similar in that way, but like you said this at the beginning, like when you were talking about, uh, starting energy point services, you talked about investing in others. So my experience has been when I'm working with people and I build a system and hand it over on so, Sometimes that system doesn't always get carried out to the end. So Mm -hmm. how do you make sure like when you put infrastructure in place that the follow through happens?
0: That is a great question. Um, It's building the relationship early. and, And what I found is really learning to define the problem that they're solving for early with everybody's input. And I know that sounds a little bit, you know, maybe PC or like, or something like that. But if someone's not part of the problem and defining that, they're not going to try to be part of the solution. And so if they recognize that there's a problem or there's something that needs to be solved or the reason that they're moving from one system to the next or bringing all this information on, uh, they're more likely to be part of that end result and solution. So We keep, uh, you know, regular touch points with our clients as we move through their process, identifying things, you know, in the data conversions that, hey, this isn't matching up or this isn't, you know, going here. What do you think? These are a couple of solutions and really letting people be more in control of that process, giving good solutions, um, but letting them kind of pick those things. Uh, And then at the end, giving kind of a of our project, you know, making sure they have quick tips they have all of these things and you know i talk to talk to several of our clients on a regular basis of just like checking in and making sure things are going well and and you know there's no no call for that but it's kind of relationship building and it's kind of a little bit psychological of making sure everybody's on board
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and you're mentioning clients there and i'm thinking mm-hmm. like your internal team too like there's a difference mm-hmm. there, right? So like, oh, right. how do you build internally for your team that's come along? Did you say you have 25, mm-hmm. uh, 25 people on? I mean, that's a good sized team, like making sure communication happens, but making sure like you guys are moving those goalposts forward. Um, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you do that? How do you keep them um, on the same page and, and carrying out the, the right tasks?
0: Uh, we're constantly evolving. Um, we do like to use the Kanban methodology just kind of to stay organized so it creates visibility. Uh, we also, you know, a lot of the people on our team, I think we did a survey the other day, it's like 9 to 20 years of experience um, so they're all pretty pretty well experienced. We've all worked together in one lifetime or another it seems like. um and some of those people have not come through Chesapeake, which is a unicorn around here. But uh, <laughs> we've, we check in Mondays and Thursdays and just a quick status update of where everybody is. We utilize Slack channels. So we have a lot of communication going on. We have in-person uh, quarterly meetings to keep our culture and like understanding building rapport within our team so that nobody's afraid to ask a question. I for sure don't know all the answers. I'm happy that we have a very experienced team that we can leverage <laughs> to, uh, you know, ask questions to if we're coming up against a problem. And I think that that's really what sets us apart from kind of our other competitors is just um, <laughs> not being afraid to ask a question uh, yeah. to figure something out.
1: So let's, um, let's, let's go back to like the f- starting your business. So you were part of this, um, putting together this brokerage you mentioned earlier, and then you had to go help stand up a private equity company. I'm, I'm assuming you exited there or that wrapped up, mm-hmm. or is that when did you decide did that? Was there a transaction that you decided I've got some time off and that launched you into like founding your business? What, what was the scenario there?
0: Sure. I mean, it was, uh, 2020 was my uh, last year with that company and I loved it. But we we had stood up a contract managed asset, sat it down and moved um, systems again. And I was kind of in charge of that implementation and was leading that. Uh, and I realized that I kind of missed the consulting space. And so they were gracious enough to be understanding and supportive of that move. And um, you know, I've done work with them since, and you know, it's always nice not to ever burn a bridge, and and they've been very good to me. So, uh, I really just saw the opportunity as the the last half of 2020, as we were in kind of still COVID and still a lockdown, uh, of this opportunity to step back out because the, one of the things that was important was that you know remote work can be done, and productivity can stay. Stay high, and I knew there were a lot of folks, you know, contractors and and subs that I have worked with before that were doing similar work, but not not really. Um, I wanted to help meet that need, and I knew that I could maybe figure out a way to, to bridge the gap. I thought you could do it better. You could could
1: offer a better service and
0: product. (laughs) So,
1: so what were the challenges there then? Like starting, like, I mean, you gotta, you gotta form an entity. You gotta do that. Is this something you did Mm -hmm. with a co-founder? Is this something you just stood up on your own?
0: Just stood it up on my own. Um, I had kind of been through that with the prior partnership and understood what needed to be done and what steps needed to be taken. Uh and uh it was a little scary. I lost some sleep, of course, because it's a little bit nerve-wracking not to step out and not really know where your next check is really gonna come from. But right. uh, again, that that in I don't know, it really just stuck with me that word of the year, because I do one every year and it was invest in others, invest and I can't tell you how grateful I am for the people that just stepped up and like, oh yeah, that's a great need. You need this. Oh, have you thought about this? Have you met so-and-so? Like they just, people were so kind. So anytime I can pay that same grace and support forward, I, I love doing that.
1: That's awesome. That's great to hear. So what, I mean, I imagine with consulting, I mean, you're kind of the product a little bit, which I guess can be great as far as like, I mean, there's not a lot of capital, like there's no big like equipment needs, there's nothing. And like you said, in 2020, everyone's working remote, you could work from home, so you don't need an office. So maybe capital wasn't an issue, but like, what was an issue? What was, was there anything, um, maybe that it's not tangible, that we didn't have a big expense, but like immediately you thought like, this has got to be, this is the big thing to overcome right away.
0: Yes. One is, I think someone will hire me eventually. (laughs) Will they? Uh, uh, But so getting kind of those projects and timing lined out and getting that in place first was a big deal. And then when I started hiring people that, you know, maybe... I didn't know all that well. I thought maybe we need to get out of my dining room and
1: start (laughs) get it figure
0: out an office. And Uh I think our first office that was the summer of 21. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was literally a sweatshop. The the air conditioner didn't work a lot, but it was a friend of mine. They were so kind. They gave me all their hand-me-down furniture, but it's pretty hot when the air conditioner wasn't working. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, no, sure. In Oklahoma in yes. the middle of summer. Yeah. Yes. Bad. So what, I mean, how quickly were you able to, I mean, cuz I'm I'm trying to think about like getting getting to be able to scale where you can you can hire and bring on more onto your into your consulting team like you got to get revenue. I mean, were you able to get a cash flow going and able to like balance that or did you I mean, how did you think about that, like hiring versus like bringing, you know, revenue in the door?
0: Yes, it's a little tricky. Uh, So the first um, couple of months, I was wrapping up a project and worked out a deal where I had a little bit of, you know, cash flow going into that first, you know, first thing. But then I quickly needed to make sure I had something else. at least for me to build to, to pay my bills uh, after that. And so I really hit the, hit the ground running and just went down my entire network list, called them all, had meetings set up, several. Uh, and I also uh, made sure I, I reached out to vendors, uh, software vendors, and made good friends with them to let them know what I was doing. I could be a good referral partner. Uh, and so I was planting a lot of seeds. And then they started to take place in about April, March and April of 21. And then I, I found out I had a couple of projects that were, um, coming on and I needed five or six positions filled. Like I found out on like a Thursday and needed them by Monday. So (laughs) thankfully, you know, I had been talking to a few of my friends and people that I've worked with colleagues for a a while and they, they quit their jobs or, were, we're at a spot where they could join or something along those lines. And I went from me to, to six or seven people as of a Monday uh, and in late April, or early May, which was scary to me. And then, you know, you have to make sure your invoicing processes are in place, your billing systems, all of the internal workings of making sure everything works for everybody else. Um, yeah. so it was Did you f- a lot <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Did you, I mean, I imagine you felt like you were in the, that weekend, um, like you were drinking from a fire hose, just trying to get all of that in place. Um, yes. so, th- so you said you started in like summer of 2020, you hung out your shingle and then by spring of 2021,
0: uh, January of 21 is when I officially hung out my shingle. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I kind of thought it's... I saw the market opening back up, started thinking uh-huh. about it in summer of 2020. Mm-hmm.
1: Gotcha. What do you see like as far as um, you, I mean, it sounds like you're using multiple with your clients, multiple softwares. Mm -hmm. Like, is there a scenario where a company like bundles all the software up or creates like a one? I mean, how much are you trying to make this software communicate with this software, Mm -hmm. with this process and this in between? Like, Is that a problem and is someone going to solve that eventually or is there already a solution?
0: I wish there was a solution. Um, I think there are a couple of platforms, once you get on their platform, that they have made great strides and connecting the dots between like their accounting and land software and then making it talk to either a production software, Merrick, or something like that. And um, it seems like they're making strides, but really, what I have found to be the tried and true alternative is that you create each company creates like a data warehouse or something where they have all of their back end tables uh, get put into a, a data warehouse of sorts. And then from there you create and layer on your reporting um, dashboards that you so see your power BI or Spotify or something along those lines so that you can create visibility and know that, you know, Aries is saying that this interest is this, this accounting system says that the well is paid out and land is over here with something completely different. So then you can start (laughs) identifying the problems that will actually, you know, cause a value problem if you're not careful.
1: Right. So there's still just, the solution's not there, but maybe someday. Maybe. Would you ever, would you ever try and build, would you ever be like, Hey, we've got to, we've got to think of a way to make this happen. Have you ever been asked that question?
0: Yes. And, you know, probably when I first started out doing things, I thought, I can do this. <laughs> this is going to be what I can do. But I really quickly realized I'm not a a code writer or an IT person necessarily. Um, and the amount of time that it would take for me to get something off the ground to get going in that direction would be a lot longer than... The experts in the field. So I'm happy to consult right. and help <laughs> with what yeah. I can contribute, but it's not my strength.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, me either. I'm not technical in that way either. So, kind of as we wrap up, like, and, and I didn't even ask you when we kicked off, Donna, like, do you, if you have a hard stop, let me know, because I'll keep asking questions. But I think we've got five, 10 minutes left, if that works mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. But what, is, what does success look like for you? like personally and professionally. So let's divide it out. Let's say like, what does success look like for you in your daily life? And then let's talk about, let's tackle the question like for um, energy point services.
0: It's a good question. Uh, it's a hard question because, uh, you know, there's no simple answer, but I do think that success for me um, is uh, personally is, you know, Having creating a, a way to both work, be a mom, and um, be involved in my community, do give back like figuring out a way to balance all of those things. It's not always easy to do that, but that gives me a lot of satisfaction to be able to do all of those things and, of course, be financially independent where I can, you know, can still pay all my bills and, and all of that is going well. Um, but those that's really what it looks like for me. There's uh you know, my kids are growing up and they're all in sports and and all of the things. So it means a lot that I'm able to kind of work my schedule around what they have going on and prioritize that. And then for energy point, um I besides, you know, <laughs> being a solvent and successful and a good business, uh, I I think success looks like continuing to bridge the gap between very good, qualified, uh, wonderful professionals, and also the gap of operators and other companies and other people out there that need their skill set to solve their problems. And just bridging that gap and creating opportunity for that to continue to happen um, really is something that gives me a lot of joy and satisfaction that we're able to, to fit both you know, it's a win-win for both parties, for the people that need the work and the people that want to do the work.
1: Is, is, is this a business that you see like running like forever? Like, is this something like, um, you know, you would hand down generally, generationally to your kids, or is this something where you're like, Oh, maybe we get bought by another consulting firm or everything's on the table. What do you think about those things?
0: Of course, uh, who doesn't? Of course, anybody for the right price is probably good with it. But I, I'm not planning on going anywhere. I, I really enjoy the team that we have and what we're building, and see a lot of potential uh, to continue to grow it. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't plan to to do anything rash or or get out. Have an exit strategy, uh, ready to go. Just because I, you know, we're, we're only in year three and and we're continuing to, to build. So it's good.
1: Awesome. That's, that's great. Um, thanks so much for all, uh, you know, talking through this with me. I've got three questions we always wrap up with.
0: All right. And it's,
1: and it's favorite drink, um, mm-hmm. favorite book, and best advice ever received. So favorite drink. Do you have one?
0: I'm kind of into palomas right now. <laughs> I think they're pretty good.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: Uh huh. Yep. Well,
1: i I don't even I, I don't even know what a paloma is. So, what's it's in like a paloma?
0: Grapefruit and tequila and like tahini or some salt around the rim and like a little okay. bit of lemon. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm.
1: Nice. Sounds refreshing.
0: Refreshing. Yes.
1: Yeah. I'm Negronis. Like that's my thing, right? Is Negroni. Uh, so. Um, and my wife thinks it's terrible. She's like, this is so bitter. I don't know how you drink this. I like it. Um, yeah. are you a reader? Do you have, do you have a favorite mm-hmm. book?
0: No, oh, I'm what a did... big reader. I think probably, so word of the year was invest 2021, 2022 was discipline. Cause I was like, I have to stay disciplined to take care of myself and everybody else. And I have to, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, and so I read Atomic Habits, and I thought that was really pretty good. And then I read Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. Okay, I mm-hmm. listened to Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, That's the and best I, way, is others. to get, his, yeah. to get his, you know, voice his voice, reading his words yes. to you. Yeah. Uh, wow. And then a few others last year, but Atomic Habits probably stood out and has been was impactful in how I kind of shaped up last year. And this year I'm reading, I started, just started peak performance. So we'll see how that one turns out. But I, I, I'm a book junkie, audio book junkie. That's awesome.
1: That's great. That's great. Um, so if you had to pick some of the best advice you've ever received, what 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 comes to your mind? What would that be?
0: I think it was a teacher I had in like seventh grade, Uh, he's, or uh, I don't know, somewhere in there, but Mr. Lemon he said, start with what you know and go from there. Doesn't matter. No matter if it's on a test, if it's anything else, just start with what you know and go from there. And I can see several times where I've applied that on, you know, no, I don't know exactly how the ins and outs of all of this particular software works or this particular problem works, but this is the base of what I know (laughs) this is where I know we need to go so how do I I leverage that and move forward so that was probably pretty good advice
1: hey if you enjoyed the show please do us a big favor and leave a review in whatever podcast app you listen to or share with someone you think might enjoy this content thanks a lot for listening to energy builders